from Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you kind of a mixed bag week. We're going to be talking about which tech company is vying to be king of Layoff Mountain, as well as some really interesting mixed news out of the housing market, as well as, you know, another day, another crypto bankruptcy over at Genesis. So a lot of really interesting things to kind of tie together. Again, 2023 really starts coming into view. We're trying to understand what's happening at Netflix, what's happening in the EV market, and what's happening broadly in this market that is just really trying to not have a full-on recession here in 2023. Kind of hard to maybe hit that target, but we'll see. As always, audience, joining me to discuss all that is Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good, dude? It's been a minute, like, wild week, right? How do we even start talking about all this? Yeah, it's been a wild week and a wild start to the new year on top of that. Uh, markets are, are finally showing some signs of life. Uh, we have you know, more firings going on, more crypto companies going out of business, home sales falling down. So on one hand, it looks like things are, are doing poorly, but then markets are responding well. Uh, and then throw in the mix uh, a potential nuclear threat coming out of Russia last night. And yeah, there's a lot to, to go through, you know, the last year and now this year, a lot of moving pieces that are just changing week to week. So it's important to to kind of stay up to date on everything that's going on. Absolutely. And I think that's the main thing we have to kind of, let's just kind of take this line by line. So this week started out with banks kind of going up to the plate for earnings season. And uh, obviously Goldman Sachs got hit pretty hard. And we're seeing a lot of layoffs hit this financial area. And you're seeing earnings season kind of showing us exactly what we were thought was going to happen. That is a lot of these financial institutions and institutions in general are just getting pressured by rising costs, lots of supply chain issues still. Inflation is finally starting to hurt these earnings calls exactly like we thought they would. Next, you're going to start seeing tech earnings as Microsoft starts things off on January 24th, and then Facebook comes out on February 1st, and everyone else kind of follows them afterwards. But I guess the main line there is just watching over 70,000 people getting laid off this week, Justin. Um, Is this the recession everyone's talking about? Is that how it starts, and it's just like a white-collar recession? Or is this kind of standard when you see just this level of rising in costs and the insane amount of overhiring we saw in 2021 yeah it's a it's a bit of both so there's two different really factors going on why people are firing their employees um and ultimately what's to kind of come next so on one end of the spectrum there's like i said there's there's two different factors the first is due to the kind of macro environment we're in and the second is just due to the way these companies have to operate unfortunately so in the tech sector in banking a ton I mean, unless you've been sleeping under a rock for the last year, obviously there's been a pullback. Consumers are spending less, companies are spending less, people spend less, you have to cut expenses because you're not making as much. It's very simple. You you can't spend as much um, if you're not making that much unless you're the US government, which (laughs) with the debt ceiling is is a separate conversation. But effectively that's been hurting these companies a lot. So they've had to pare back expenses. Naturally, you know, the easiest place to peel back expenses is headcount. It's usually one of the largest parts of uh, a company's spend uh, and is easy to trim seemingly overnight. Um, So you pair that with the fact that especially in the tech world, companies need to grow as quickly as possible. That's how their stock grows. That's how investors are judged by them. And that's kind of like how the companies from an incentivization structure is run uh, at the C-suite level. So during kind of the pandemic, everything falls off a cliff. Companies are scared. They fire. Then all of a sudden, the government throws trillions of dollars at the economy, gives uh, thousands of dollars to consumers, and we have a year or two where the economy just absolutely booms after bottoming. And so a lot of these tech companies then hire like crazy in order to kind of keep up with demand. 
Uh, and that was really just the big theme over 2021, mostly. Um, 2022 continues to expand, but we start to see the cracks uh, as the year goes on. And now with the economy the way it is, um, these companies basically, A, just can't em- afford to employ these people that they hired. And then B, they just don't need all these people because ultimately, do you need 5,000 salespeople to sell 50% less product? I mean, the answer is no. That's what we saw with Salesforce. So it's basically people are spending less. They can't spend as much in terms of the company side. And then they just don't need the amount of employees they have with the amount of demand they're getting. It's just, and when you look back, they're actually still have more employees, most of these companies than pre-pandemic levels. So they're still inflated, even though they're peeling back spending. That's how much they've hired over the last few years. So long story short, that's why we're starting to see this pullback. It's a very natural part of like economic cycles. Uh, it sucks for the people who are getting fired. We we feel for them. It's terrible. Um, but you're seeing a lot of this play out a lot faster than normal because we're seeing these like boom and bust cycles, which if you look back over the last 10, 20, 30 years, takes years to play out. And now it's being compressed in a one, two year period. So what we're hoping to see out of this over the next few years is, you know, a little bit more normalization, slower, more sustainable growth. Uh, and an economy that can kind of bear the brunt of, you know, just grinding upwards in the face of inflation, but not, you know, over overcooking on the on the top end or or bottoming out uh, if things go wrong. Exactly. And I think audience, you know, kind of keeping in mind all the questions we get here, I think the main thing to keep in mind is like trying to understand this. This is a sign of like collapse or things going down. We have to understand that a lot of these hires happen during a period of absolute mania in the stock market. We're talking Q3, Q2 to Q3 2021 when the market was just absolutely rocketing. And Jerome Powell was assuring us that inflation was definitely transitory. The market really didn't have any reason to suspect otherwise. And growth stocks really have to keep up with each other, especially in this tech space. So you saw this rampant overhiring. So rather than this being, you know, a downturn for all these companies, it's simply a correction. So that's why you're seeing stocks respond positively to these layoffs. It again, really does suck for the people that it's happening to. But it's also one of those kind of natural cycles. If you're in this tech industry, like we, everyone's gone through it at some point or another, there was actually a very interesting round of layoffs in 2019 pre pandemic that caught a lot of people that we knew in the New York tech scene as well. So you have to kind of take a long tail view on this and understand the longer cycles that are within those shorter cycles that you're a part of, which is why and I'm just going to shoehorn this in just so you know, audience, this podcast is brought to you by Moby.co. We not only are a free podcast brought to you every week, we're also a subscription product and just an general website. You can check us out over at moby.co slash go to get our longer tail view. Because if you have that longer tail view as an investor, you'll have a better chance of understanding the market around you. So again, I want you to check out moby.co. I want you I want you to see sort of the long tail view we have. We've been talking about gaming this week. Next, we're going to go back into the EV space as well as talking about SMBs a little bit more and understanding how small caps can really win in the long term during this environment. Justin, anything from you in terms of making sure that we get people to the actual moby.co product as well? I think it's cool. We're doing ad reads now. We're almost at uh, over 100 thousand downloads so it's really exciting to get you know this part of the podcasting life in here as well yeah no any podcast that's annoying but we got to throw the plug in there quickly i think people would rather hear us promoting our own product than some bullshit product we don't believe in but gear up for us doing that too (laughs) yeah i mean that's coming as well um but yeah i mean we we can move on to what people are actually here to to listen to but yeah if you haven't checked out the premium subscriptions on the website we have free trials Definitely would give it a try. We're giving daily stock picks, uh, daily analysis, updates. We have interactive tools, charting, 
uh, and just helping you become a better investor. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely head to the site, start a free trial today, um, and then we'll get back to it. Awesome. And that site again, folks, is moby.co slash go. Check us out there and become more of a long-term investor so you can win again for the long term. Anyway, getting back to it, again, taking that long tail view, Justin, and trying to understand how we're playing this game here. So we're seeing this big correction in tech happen. You know, it's not necessarily a sign of the recession to come or anything. If there is a recession, there's going to be a lot more pain than that, right? So I guess the other part of this trying to understand is we got a big old mixed bag of housing data this week. First of all, mortgage rates fell for the 11th consecutive month. Existing home sales fell for the 11th consecutive month. But at the same time, Confusingly, home starts also slowed down. All these data points are for December, right? So we're seeing both a slowdown of supply, demand, and also the actual price it takes to actually build houses. So when you look at all this together, Justin, are we seeing like a very slow collapse of the housing industry as well? Or is this kind of more of a natural reaction as the housing industry gears up to get back to building houses again as mortgage rates get more and more under control? It's similar to what we're seeing in the tech sector. It's like this overreaction on the downside and upside. People are buying homes like crazy and costs are going up, but people don't care. And so you get a ton of new homes being built and the rates are low. And we just kind of get this compounding effect that everyone knew was going to crash and it wasn't sustainable. And that's what we've seen this year is started to pull back in the other direction. But exactly to your point, it looks like rates are getting to the point where they're going to start peaking soon. Um, the Fed is expected to raise interest rates by only 0.25%, uh, which is a reduction relative to the last raise at 0.5% and then prior raises at 0.75%. So they're not going to necessarily stop, I would say, this month or next, but we should be approaching peak rates at some point you know, in the first half of this year. Once we get to that area, you know, it could be a really interesting opportunity as people... if. You know, they they start finding interesting investing investment opportunities in the real estate market for people who are selling um, at cheaper prices because rates are high, and then they're refinance, refinancing on the way down. And as the Fed goes to starts decreasing rates, that's when we'll get the pushback up in the real estate market. Um, I know I said that they should stop increasing rates probably the first half of this year. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be decreasing rates at any point. Uh, the Fed has gone on to say that they do not plan on doing that this year. Obviously, things are always subject to change. Um, but effectively, that's the number one thing. The, the real estate market, especially on the residential side, just really revolves around rates. And so if you're looking at you know, a half million dollar home a year ago, the mortgage rate in terms of what you're paying on an annual uh, basis has probably almost doubled uh, given the rise in rates. So if you decrease rates again, homes become more affordable, then prices move up. So it's just going to be this kind of rinse and repeat cycle. Um, we're anticipating for this to be relatively short-lived um, and we'll probably see, especially as inflation comes under control, this cycle again as rates move down, more homes being built, home prices moving back up. But real estate is a very, very interesting game because you start moving into different cities different neighborhoods. They all act independently of each other. Um, so if you're investing in real estate, something to be very cautious of. If not, we have on the site also like some of our favorite REITs and different home builders and a little bit more, in my opinion, a diversified way to play it. But yeah, long story short, hopefully there are, we're, we'll see the real estate market start to move back upwards. You know, 
maybe the summer later this year as as rates start to peak and then ultimately decrease. And that's the most important thing to keep in mind. Like rates are being held artificially high. So if you are coming to this podcast, which a surprisingly number like a surprisingly large number of people are, and thinking about, okay, I'm gonna watch the market until I feel more safe about, you know, take putting a down payment out and getting a house. Like you're watching as you watch home prices go down, but mortgage mortgage rates stay up a little bit, keep in mind you can always refinance as well. So if you're seeing this happen in your area where you're seeing home prices go down a lot in response to these new mortgage rates, it might actually be an interesting time to buy rather than waiting for rates to go down as well, because you can always refinance, right? Uh, not financial advice, obviously, but since people keep asking us that question, I feel like we're just going to keep hitting that point home over and over again. But again, that's the main thing. We're just watching these cycles gradually move forward because we, again, had a very positive CPI last week. The market is very confident about inflation going down, but none of that matters until next the week after next week, when the Fed has its meeting between January 31st and February 1st to decide new interest rate raises and see if they modify their rate schedule. And if we come out from Jerome Powell, him saying, hey, I'm not going to spend the entire year raising rates and I'm going to only raise them, you know, 25 basis points at a time, we will see, again, more positive reactions from a market that feels like we're very excited about inflation getting under control and the Fed, and the Fed taking sort of like the boot off the neck of the economy, so to speak. Regardless, Justin, it's not just America that that's a mixed bag right now. We're also watching the global economy as well, the ongoing Russia situation. You mentioned that little uh, nuclear potentiality we had. But one thing that's kind of getting really weird, right, is the narrative shifting between the U.S. and China. Um, what we saw this week was something wild. China's population has gone down for the first time since the 1960s. Um, it only went down, you know, by a couple hundred thousand, but it is a stunning revelation. Like, China is the ascendant economy, right? But at this point, they're actually going to get caught by India by 2030. When you look at this, Justin, like, what is going on in China? And should we have any kind of cause for concern for China on the decline, so to speak, after, you know, the one-child policy kind of put us in a bad spot? Um, and how that kind of affects the global economy and how the U.S.'s position in that economy as well? Yeah, we talked about this last year. Um, and it's, it's very interesting because, or sorry, not last year, but last podcast. And um, for those of you who, who didn't listen, but basically we gave a summary that while in no means are we calling for the end of the world for China, the I think the narrative that everyone has been pushing over the last decade that China is going to become the next world superpower in terms of overtaking the U.S. might be a little bit of a false narrative. Yes, they're growing like crazy in terms of like their economy historically. They're competing at a global level like they haven't before, yada, yada, yada. But a big factor that people aren't talking about is this decline in the birth rate and ultimately the decline in their population. Um, right now, China, or this week rather, China came out with data saying that for the first time in its history, their population actually decreased and that their census um, in terms of the people in the country overcounted by almost 100 million people. So when you look at that, you look at the, like we said, the birth rates in China, unless those fundamentally change anytime soon, we're looking at a country that is decreasing in population and that is aging like crazy. The U.S. has an old population, but China's population is even older. And so what we're going to see as more of those older people ultimately die and if not retire, um, we're going to see less and less people be able to replace those jobs that were once held by the working population of China. 
And so we're what we're going to see come out of China is more and more shortages. Um, and they're, they're large importers and exporters of, of goods around the world. So if people aren't doing these jobs, people are going to either go hungry or there's going to be a real slowdown in economic activity coming out of China. And when you start looking at global or China's birth rates, that's not something that you can fix with, you know, Fed policy. That's something that is like a dichotomy or a underlying kind of notion or, or thinking of a mass group of people. So that could be a massive, massive headwind for China over the next decade. And if this continues to play out where their population is decreasing and aging at the same time, China could be looking at like almost an internal implosion. Uh, and for the U.S., which is slowly starting to exit more and more of China and bring more of its production onshore, not to the U.S., at least to North America through Canada and Mexico, we could be looking at like the beginning of the end of China, which I know sounds crazy, um, but that is that is something that is not understated if you if you look at major economists around the world Elon Musk has said this and not in relation to China just in general but a decreasing population and birth rate is one of the biggest things that affect like our global security as people going forward outside of you know asteroids or <laughs> or the apocalypse if there's not people to replace the the people who are aging out of the economy there's going to be massive issues with keeping up our output so Something to look for, uh, for sure. This is a long, long-term play, but could be a really thing, a good thing to hedge against in terms of betting against this kind of theme that China is going to be the next uh, great superpower. Um, that that birth rate is something you really want to take a look at, and you won't hear from most other people. Exactly. And when you're thinking about, you know, your investments, your investments obviously minimum should have a 30-year time horizon, right? So you need to think about what the next 30 years are going to be like. And this is very much something that can play out over the next 30 years. It's not happening tomorrow. So right now, it doesn't affect any of our Chinese portfolio companies. We see five to 10-year positive time horizons for all of the various Chinese tech companies we're holding because they are all drastically undervalued thanks to the bizarre and strained relationship China and the U.S. have had for the past year and a half or so, right? But when you think about you know what the next century is going to be, the 2020s are going to be very much defined by the U.S. and China and their ongoing conversation about who is the world superpower. But the 2030s and 2040s are going to be very easily defined by first India and then broadly this various set of African nations that are ascendant right now because it's all about population growth, right? So very interesting to see you know, where the world kind of shifts in this new order. But that's something that our analyst team is looking into a lot more, more Indian-based ETFs and more sort of thinking about where we can place our money to sort of bet on the future of Africa as well as, you know, a lot of those countries, Nigeria, a lot of them, you know, start really being ascendant there. So really interesting time. It's not just going to be China and America. So just really cool to watch this new world order sort of materialize in the, as we get more and more post-COVID, even though we're still very much within that pandemic. Regardless, Justin, so again, we kind of bounced around a lot here today. I want to make sure we sort of, you know, end a little bit more focused. Uh, Bitcoin's had a wild week. Let's get, make sure we have some some crypto news as well. Bitcoin started the week at 17K and is still hovering at around 20, um, which is solid sign of health in the industry. But Genesis did just declare for bankruptcy. Solid crypto lender, you know, the one of the last victims of sort of the FTX collapse. Are we seeing the bottom of the crypto market? Is crypto winter starting to end or at least, you know, not decline anymore? Or are we still, do we on our analysis side still have some concerns about the crypto industry as a whole. So there's definitely some some fallouts to come. So to your point with the Genesis stuff, effectively for those of you who have heard the name or haven't heard the name or don't know who they are, they're a massive crypto lender. 
They had over $11 billion in outstanding loans uh, in 2021. Um, but effectively, what they do is people deposit money onto their platform and they pay them a super high interest rate. They're able to do that because they take that money and loan it out to hedge funds at an even higher rate, ultimately pay the people back the rate they promised them and pocket the difference. And that's a large way they make money. Then on top of that, um, that's pretty much how they're able to kind of grow. It's just this arbitrage opportunity, which is perfectly fine. I know it sounds maybe like a Ponzi scheme or some sort of like pyramid scheme, um, but effectively that works really well in a, in a bull market. And when things start drying up in terms of trading volumes, um, you know, that business model can't really grow. But the real actual issue is that those loans weren't collateralized, which again, sounds super boring, but effectively, if I give you $10,000 as a, you know, as a loaning this to a random person, often that loaner, if, if I'm that person, would want, you know, a nice watch, uh, your car, some sort of collateral that'd be like, okay, if you can't pay this back, at least, you know, I have something worth of value that that you don't want to give up. So, you know, there there's some sort of guarantee or at least some value if you, if you default on that loan. So in the case of Genesis, a lot of their loans didn't have that guarantee underlying it. So when a lot of these firms like FTX um, started going out of business, and obviously FTX is the big one, they filed for bankruptcy, which means they don't necessarily have to pay their debts back. When they don't pay their debt back, their debts back, companies like Genesis then lose out on a ton of money and can't pay their consumers back. And that's why we saw them kind of file for bankruptcy uh, this week. And that's, again, more reverberations throughout the kind of crypto economy with FTX and the fallout. And now with this company going out of business, that will send reverberations further. So there's kind of this cascading effects where one company affects the next, that company affects the next, and it just keeps going until we finally bottom out. So I think this is you know still going to come. There'll be more companies that will be affected. And then ultimately from you know the crypto kind of pricing perspective, it just puts more doubt into the crypto economy. But like we've seen over the course of this year so far, you know, we're 20 days in and Bitcoin's price is actually up pretty significantly to start the year. Um, and the reason it's up so much is because the market's up. Same reason, like the Fed thinks or investors think the Fed uh, is going to stop raising rates because we're approaching peak inflation um, and with lower rates is better investing environment. So the stock market's gone up and conversely, Bitcoin has gone up as well. Uh, it's a little bit more amplified than the stock market. Bitcoin this year so far <clears throat> is up like 30%, where the stock market is definitely not up 30%. It's closer to 3%. So we're seeing like a massive kind of advantage to the upside. But long story short, like we've been saying for the last year, a lot of the go forward kind of atmosphere, everything just relates to the Fed and then relates to uh, inflation. And so if inflation gets under control, interest rates will get under control. And if interest rates get under control, the markets can do well. Uh, there's obviously a lot of niches within that, but general indice-based investments like the SP 500, like Bitcoin, they're just really going to revolve around that. So that's been the biggest thing we're watching and have been trying to anticipate and, you know, have just kind of been now reiterating week over week. And as we keep watching that too, it's really important to keep uh, seeing how price action works for Bitcoin versus other areas of the market. And just to reiterate what Justin's saying, one of the, the main index that Bitcoin seems to follow is actually the NASDAQ. So the broader market is up, the NASDAQ isn't up as much. And therefore, when, when you see Bitcoin kind of 
skyrocketed like this, it's because the Nasdaq's up a little bit as well. So that's something to really keep in mind. The larger market sees Bitcoin as just a risk asset as opposed to, you know, seeing crypto as more or less risky. So what are, what's going to happen then is if you have that even mildly good news, a lot more people are going to pile into crypto real fast because that's just how it works, right? So keep that in mind. So you'll see kind of probably a little bit of a sell-off as prices stabilize. Um, as people, you know, kind of get in real quick, get out real fast, you're going to see these big, you know, swings like that. We're not going to 60K this year, probably. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that. But it's very much an interesting proof for the long-term thesis on Bitcoin. Of course, if Jerome Powell says next two, a week and a half from now, bringing the hammer down, Bitcoin's going to crash right back down. So all in all, we're kind of in this breath before we get a good sense of where the year is going to take us. But all in all, kind of a positive week. I'm really excited to see us pull out of, you know, this inflation situation and achieve something of a soft landing without, you know, a full on super recession or anything. But Justin, we did take you way over time, dude. I really appreciate you being here with us. Audience, thank you so much for all of your questions as well. Justin, did you have any final uh, thoughts for us before we go ahead and read the credits here, man? As always, solid discussion, dude. No, I think we covered um, a good amount of it. I'd like to have covered a little bit more company specific stuff like Netflix and then the Google layoffs. But I think, you know, we covered the bulk of it. It'll cascade down to those companies. Um, again, by any by no means are we out of it. Um, market could continue rallying. Um, but from in the economic perspective, uh, inflation is still a problem, even though it's decreasing. And so I wouldn't say like, let's go, you know, let's bet the house right now and we'll see a ton of upside. As we've been saying for the last few months, continuing to kind of dollar cost average, putting capital here and there and trying to get close to the bottom. And so that when it rides up, we we are obviously capitalizing as much as possible. You know, that's the best thing we can do as investors. So that's kind of going to just be our general outlook until we see a, a real sign that says, hey, we're going all in everything we have. Let's throw it in. Better to be late to the bull run than early to the bull trap, right? As always, audience, don't ever try to time the market. Just maintain your time in the market. Regardless, audience, really appreciate your time. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, chief analyst here at Moby.co. Thank you so much for your perspective. Audience, if you have any questions for us after this, you can also feel free to email us at hello at Moby.co. Um, thank you for being here with us for this podcast. Just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All of the intellectual value of Moby.co and this podcast in general comes from our analyst team, which is led by Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst analyst here. Again, any questions for us, hit us up at hellomobi.co. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram. Things are starting to pop off there a little bit. And we'd love to have your perspective as we build communities over there. But otherwise, just hit us up at hello. Head over to mobi.co slash go to join our community and see sort of the long-term perspectives we have on the market. We really appreciate your time, audience. But as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.